As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A special Saturday edition of the VanCast and Drancer. Uh, look, I don't have to tell you, and I certainly don't have to tell the VIPs, the Vancouver Canucks don't advance to the second round of the Stanley Cup every day uh, or every year. In fact, it's almost been a decade. you got to go back to 2011 to find the last time they've gone this far into the Stanley Cup playoffs. We've made our vow that we'll be here for the people uh, after every Canucks game here in the postseason. So we know that uh, there are four more because they've... Dispatch the St. Louis Blues. The Stanley Cup champs are in the rearview mirror, and it's time to bring on the Vegas Knights. What a what a night for the Vancouver Canucks to kick that front door down. I mean, there were some anxious moments, obviously, midway through the series against the St. Louis Blues. People thought that uh, the Blues had momentum and they were going to get rolling, and uh, the Vancouver Canucks pushed back and pushed back in a big way. And you know, full credit to them for punching their ticket to round number two. Absolutely, and full credit to. You know, a, a bunch of weird sort of things that went down, but ultimately I think when you consider what happened, when you consider what we saw, and think about the weirdo sort of line combos, like, in the game that the Canucks advanced to the second round for the first time in nine years, right? Elias Pettersson's most frequent forward line mates were Tanner Pearson and Louis Erickson, right? Yeah. Third was Jake Vertanen. <laughs> like, there's no way, there's no way I would have believed you for a second if you told me in the game that the Canucks defeat the defending Stanley Cup champions in this year, 2020, Louis Erickson will be his, one of his most frequent wingers. If you told me that eight months ago... Uh, even if you'd left out the whole pandemic and hockey in August thing, like I would have looked at you like you had four heads, but but that's what we saw. Brandon Sutter, three-assist game to help the Canucks punch their ticket to the second round. Unbelievable. Like, well, unbelievable. Uh, look, uh, Farhan summed it up best, didn't he, when he said, like, who would have ever thought that Beagle, Mott, and Roussel would be the first guys out at the podium after a series-clinching victory? And... <laughs> <laughs> Stunning stuff, truly stunning stuff. But man, man, what an unbelievable win for the team. Like, just, I'm so happy for fans, you know? I'm so happy for all the people who started adding me drunk or, or some of my buddies who texted me as, uh, as time expired. 
Like, you know, it, nine years is a ton of time. And even if this isn't the normal sort of way that a playoffs go, even if you don't necessarily feel quite that same level of connection with the community that you usually would in, in during a Canucks playoff run, like, look, this is this is pretty amazing for this team to have accomplished. Um, it's pretty amazing that they were able to defeat the Blues. Right, and, and it is equally amazing that with Elias Pettersson and Louis Erickson as a tandem, you know, that didn't even matter, really. Like, honestly, like, that line wasn't relied on. Like, they didn't lean on Elias Pettersson. Of course he picked up his points because that's what he does, and he's just been so, like, so consistent, ruthlessly consistent yeah. through <laughs> these playoffs in this series, but it really was for a second straight game. These unsung heroes that were invisible, were questioned earlier in the series, and again, like, there's a reason they were questioned, because when the Canucks get secondary scoring, like, look out. Like, that's when they become this beast, that the primary scorers were there. Like, Pedersen had an incredible series. JT Miller rose up. Bo Horvat obviously was Superman early in the series. Brock Besser looked like he took some frustration out on Jordan Bennington with that one-timer that chased Bennington from the game in the series. Like, the top-end guys were there, and you go back into that first round, when Roussel and Sutter and Tanev scored the overtime winner, you know, they get those contributions, they win those games. In this series, Stetcher scores in the opener, you know, they win that game. And then those last couple of games for Tannen and Tyler Mott taking off into yeah. this new stratosphere of scoring. But, you know, it can't just be on three or four guys, as good as they are and as productive as they've been. And it's been terrific. Like, all these questions about how these young guys are going to handle their first taste of playoff action, get out of here. Like, they're just fine. And I think people knew that they would be just fine. But they did have to get out there and and get it done. And they've done just that. And, you know, again, you're seeing Elias Pettersson among the scoring leaders. You're seeing Quinn Hughes doing things that, like, Ray Bork had done in his first, you know, go-round in the Stanley Cup. Like, every Quinn Hughes comparison, it seems, comes back historically you know, it comes back to Ray Bork. Like, it's just insane. Um, and <laughs> oh the, like, like, the Canucks ultimately... It's true, though. The, uh, but ultimately, they made quick work. I know it was six games, but they made quick work of the defending Stanley Cup champions. They, they did. And, yeah, the Quinn Hughes thing... The Quinn Hughes thing really blows my mind a little bit because, you know, it's not just the points or the work on the power play or, or what have you. It, it is that, you know, this is a player who they sort of trimmed his minutes in game six, like as, as the game went on to make sure that there was no funny business. Like Quinn Hughes only played 17 minutes basically. Right. Yep. If he'd played a normal game, if he'd played a normal shift in a game that the blues had been able to keep close, which they weren't in game six, like it was never close and it really, you know, by the 10-minute mark of the first period, the Canucks were up one nothing, and it outshot them 14-4. to And I know it took them another 12 minutes to extend that lead. But for whatever reason, and, and I swear that it felt like this in building too, like it just never felt close. And, you know, the – so if he'd played a normal shift, he would have easily been over 25 minutes on average in this series. Easily. Anyway, he led the Canucks in nice time in this series against the Blues. Like, he played 143 minutes. He played more than anyone else. Um, Average 23-plus minutes per game. You know, 10 points in his first 10. He didn't score quite as much against the Blues as he had against the Wild. But still, PP1 scores six goals. Power play converts seven times. He, 
ends up drawing the O'Reilly matchup in the decisive two games. Like, as much as everyone focused on the weirdo lines and, you know, I, I sort of I sort of joked to a, a Canucks staffer yesterday during the game. I was like, I think I finally figured it out. You know, with O'Reilly eating everyone's Cheerios, right? The Canucks have basically decided that we don't have lines. Like, you can't pick a line to match with <laughs> if you're playing a post-lines team, right? A team that just has no li- Like, as much attention as we gave that, the biggest adjustment in the series was sicking O'Reilly or sicking Hughes and Tanev on O'Reilly for games five and six. And look, O'Reilly still did O'Reilly things. Uh, in the head-to-head matchup that hit nearly ten minutes in game... Six, for example, like the Blues attempted 16 shot attempts with O'Reilly on the ice. Uh, The Canucks attempted five. But when you go look at what the quality of those attempts were, right, like the Canucks did a way better job on O'Reilly in those last two games. And a lot of that was their 20-year-old 5'10 rookie defenseman, you know, getting that assignment and doing pretty well in it, like helping the Canucks control play pretty significantly. Uh, I think having Horvat and Miller out together against O'Reilly, that that's sort of now we know that's like the atomic option for the Canucks. Like we just put our two best two-way guys together and, and that's your hard match against O'Reilly. Like that worked too. But, you know, that that combination, Tanev, Miller, Horvat, Besser, oh, <laughs> um, Hughes against O'Reilly, like that was, their, that was the best O'Reilly answer that they could construct. And it worked. And... You know, the fact that Hughes is such an integral part of it. I mean, boy, what what does that say about what that young man can do? Right. And look, we did a podcast after game five. But I still go back to the third period. They're down Edler. And, you know, at this stage of his career and, and the struggles he had at times in the series, like it allowed Quinn Hughes to play nine and a half minutes of the third period when they had a one goal lead. And, mm-hmm. you know, his the bulk of his shift were in the offensive end. Like, they weren't defending. They were so good in the third period, I thought, in Game 5, and then they were able to carry that over into Game 6. Now, you can't be banking on Jay Beagle opening the scoring, and, you know, you get some good bounces along the way, like Jacob Delarose steps on the puck. That doesn't happen often in hockey, right? These guys are, are skilled professionals, and instead of clearing the puck, he steps on it, and the Canucks get this opportunity, but... Like, why not Jay Beagle, right? Like, I, I pointed out on Twitter, uh, he scored three goals for the Canucks. One in October, one in March, one in August. Like, that's Jay Beagle's <laughs> last year, right? Like, you know, but, I mean, what a turn of events to to get these depth guys to rise up when they were so quiet earlier in the series, and it did kind of feel like everybody wanted in on the act. And, you know, you've done such a good job of documenting the sounds of the bubble uh, like, just tell me, like, when Anton Roussel scored, it's a big goal because it's 2 nothing. Now they've extended their lead. Yeah. It was great pressure. You know, they just forced Vince Dunn off the puck. And then Bortuzzo, I'm still not quite sure what he was doing to defend there. But uh, you could hear it on TV, like, Antoine Roussel with just this wild scream of excitement. Yes. Because, I, you know, he knew, I mean, hey, it was a big goal for him getting in on the fun, but obviously a huge goal too for the Canucks to take their lead from one nothing to 2 nothing and give themselves that little cushion and just continue to apply the screws to the defending champs. Yeah, th- they were the more energetic team all night yesterday, right? Like, by, by a lot. And you could hear it. You could definitely hear it after that goal. You can always hear Antoine Roussel, though, right? Which is sure. why, you know, I, I, I was joking on the radio yesterday that I've become like the oldest school guy 
in this bubble because I can hear all this stuff and I'm just like, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, no, you can't take Roussel out. He's your loudest player, um, you know, or or Zach Ronaldo. Like, Zach Ronaldo's really key to the Flames. Uh, maybe not so much. I kind of feel like this game boils down, or, or the way that I like to dist- wanted, wanted to distill this game here is to suggest to you that there's sort of two key sequences that kind of tell you everything. And, and the first one was the five-touch, just zip the puck around the offensive end goal, right? The Troy Stetcher score. Incredible that was just, stuff, yeah. That was just, yeah, Harlem Globetrotter shit <laughs> from the Canucks' best players. And then the other sequence is the two-minute and 40-second shift that Ben Fantenberg got at Sutter and Roussel end up spending in their own end of the ice as the Blues zip the puck around on their own. And for all of that work, for all of that blood, sweat, and toil, don't get a shot off. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Just this bend but don't break two-minute and 40-second sequence. And um, it ends, and I don't remember exactly who the Blues player is, but I know that it was Jordy Ben pressuring pretty pretty far out of position. Not, Not... you know, out of position, but he'd, he'd rotated with a forward and he was sort of higher up in the zone than usual. And the <laughs> blues player gloves it and the ref goes, um, gloved it, gloved it. And there's a tired blues forward who's just been, you know, doing everything. They haven't even got a shot. And he's just like, oh, come on. <laughs> And, like, so loudly, like, come on. And I was just like, oh, boy. Like, this is not good for the Blues. Um, you know, <laughs> there was some there was some funny ones. There was some funny ones and a lot of, like, wake-ups from the Blues bench. Um, you know, uh, there wasn't even as much complaining to the refs. It was like they accepted their fate a little bit. Last night, like the Blues sounded different as a team last night than they had in the opening five games of the series. And that's sort of a thing to track. You know, I've been insisting on a distinct psychology in this bubble. And I think it especially shows through for teams on the brink of elimination. We were just not seeing like we're not seeing a game seven this round. We didn't see a game five. Right. What does that tell you? That tells you series are getting finished. Like teams are getting finished here. In these bubbles, I think it's really hard to fight back when you're on the brink. And doesn't that just sort of add to the leverage of a game like Game 5, right? I think if you can put a team on the brink, you're in a way better spot. Right now, like the the fourth win's the hardest to get, the old sort of saw that people yes. go to in this sport. No, no, no chance. Not anymore. Right. In and this I, bubble, I, I, that's not the case. I put that to Travis on a tee the other day, and... You know, he was willing to buy in, but yeah, like ask Colorado if the last win against Arizona was the toughest to get. Yeah, no or, chance. You know, Dallas uh, obviously didn't start Ugh. the way they wanted. Uh, oh. Zach, Zach Ronaldo, by the way, might have been the third best Flames forward uh, in the bubble. Right. So that, <laughs> that's for another day. Hey, I, I'm curious with all the sounds of the game, like the, the Canucks chased Jordan Bennington, and certainly there was noise on Canuck Twitter. Did the team take the high road? Because he had to do the long skate. Like the second period, he had to skate past the Canuck bench. Do you know? Like, did you hear... Was anybody on Jordan Bennington as he got uh, the hook? No, I no, I heard nothing of that, uh, and and that's okay. Like that's not uncommon because he was pulled after a goal, so they turn up the sound. 
You know what right. I'm saying? Like it's yeah. really during. It's a very distinct thing I can pl- I can hear, which is during the flow of play. Um, but I do think you know, and I tweeted this one, but the uh, the come on, come on, go through him <laughs> to Pareko while he battled Tyler Mott, right? And and Tyler Mott comes out with the puck. Pareko's got seven inches on him, probably more, by the way. Tyler Mott's listed at five ten. No way, no way. But whatever. Um, 5'10 versus 6'7, 40-pound, 8-foot difference, and the Blues bench is just getting so frustrated as Tyler Mott's just doing his sort of water bug act and harassing Pareko, and he wins the puck battle, and you could just hear the voice on the Blues bench, and I just felt like it summed up the series, especially in that moment with Mott wrecking the type of havoc that he was. You know, come on, come on, like... Go through him. <laughs> I just started. I just sort of started laughing. It was. Um, it was pretty funny. I, and and I will say the Blues' energy level in that game was just absolutely different. With the only, there was only like a couple of complaints. To, the, the way that the Blues worked the refs, and I, I, I sort of tried not to say this as much as I, as as. Distinct as it was through that first three four games, I never no team in this tournament worked the refs as loudly or as aggressively as St. Louis did, and I just didn't want to keep focusing on it because I felt like a jerk. Like sure. I felt like Blues fans are gonna think I'm just a homer. Like you know whatever. I don't want to keep doing this. Like I see the Canucks doing it too. They're just doing it a little more quietly. Like I guess they don't employ Steve Ott. You know, so so it goes. Uh, but the even that was just not there for them in that sixth game. They just kind of, they just kind of, like, I don't want to say they folded because they're a proud NHL team, but they kind of just did. Well, hey, you've been there. You've watched every game in person. I've seen them on TV, and I'm just curious to get your thought. Like, we talked about Quinn Hughes and his impact on this series. Uh, credit where it's due. Like, I thought Oscar Fattenberg and, and Jordy, and Jordy Bed particularly, stepping in mid-series, you know. Oh, yeah. I, those guys stepped up. Did we collectively sort of overrate the Blues defense? Did the Blues defense not have a great series? Was it just a one-off where they so locked in on their run to the Stanley Cup final? Like, you mentioned Pareko. I thought he might have been the most disappointing Blue in the series, to be perfectly honest with you. 100%. Just in terms of what he's capable of. But, you know, Petrangelo gets walked without his stick the other night by Mott. Like, that was a big moment. Uh, you talked about Dunn getting worked off the puck. And we know that Horvat yeah. turned him inside out early on. You know, Justin Falk is Justin Falk. Like, I, I don't know. Coming into the series, I just thought, man, like, yeah, they made the Falk-Edmondson trade. But essentially, it's the same group. I guess Scandella uh, was new. But there were some pillars on that blue line that, like, I don't want to take anything away from the Vancouver Canucks. Canucks full credit, a thousand percent. But I don't know. I was underwhelmed by the St. Louis blue line. And my guess is the coaching staff probably was as well. Yeah, for sure they were. And, you know, Pareko played more minutes than anyone else, outscored by three. Like, you know, yeah, that Pareko, I thought Pareko Scandella in particular was a pair that really, really struggled. And, you know, I'm not reading too much into anything here. You know, I, I really am not. I also think it's important to note that every mistake a Blues player made Ended up in the back of their net. (laughs) You know? And and part of that's because they couldn't get a save, right? Like, mistakes happen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so... Everything everything looks worse when your goalie... When when you never get a chance to thank your goalie. Yeah. (laughs) You always look like an asshole. (laughs) 
<laughs> and and the Canucks have just you know the Canucks throttled Bennington last night. Like what a you know I I, I saw the Barube quote post game. What was the Barube quote? We gave them too many goals. Yes, and it was like, but enough about your goaltending decision, Craig. You know, like man, Bennington was off. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Um, yeah, you know, he got he got fucking embarrassed and. It sucks for him that he spent all that time talking shit about Pedersen's Calder. Um, you know, it, like it's like he looked bad. He looked really bad. He looked lost in that series, and you knew it. You know, we talked about it. We talked. We debated it on the last pod, and I said if if Biddington doesn't have a great start, this team's going to fold. That's the problem with going back to him. And I see no indication that he's going to have a, a good start. That was sort of my call. I, I saw nothing that convinced me otherwise. I think Allen gave them a shot, and I think Bennington gave them none. And they clearly played for the future uh, as opposed to playing for the present. And, you know, that's that, that's the edge you have with Markstrom, right? Like, that's the edge you have with a goalie who's dialed in like this. Um, but the Canucks just have not – the Canucks have made some very sort of mid-range goaltenders look silly, and they're going to have a much stiffer test against Leonard and, and potentially Marc-Andre Fleury in the next round. All right, well, let's take a second here. We'll preview uh, the Canucks and the Vegas Golden Knights starting on Sunday. There's not much rest here, not much turnaround time, life in a bubble. The NHL wants to hustle this thing along. So we'll come back in a sec here and talk about the Canucks, the Vegas Golden Knights, round two. You are listening to the VanCast. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Canucks in Vegas. Uh, Vegas has owned the Vancouver Canucks uh, <laughs> since their inception in the National Hockey League. Canucks have never beaten the Golden Knights in regulation time. Now, that doesn't have to change. They could win four times in overtime and advance here in the playoffs. Bottom line is, I think they've played uh, ten times since Vegas came into the NHL. I know it's not a long and storied history, but there have been a lot of nights where uh, Vegas has been the hammer. The Canucks have been the nail. They split their regular season series. They played twice in a five-day span back in mid-December. And the first time was in Vegas. The Canucks had been in San Jose the night before. They played okay, but they lost. And then they had to do the back-to-back. And Vegas just crushed them. 6-3 flattered the Canucks. I think the shots were 46-29. to Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. Uh, the Canucks just didn't have an answer. To their credit, though, five days later in Vancouver, and it was a terrific hockey game, back and forth. Chris Tanev scores in overtime. They win it 5-4, to four, and that was the start of a seven-game win streak, and it was also the start of that 14-3 and three run that, you know, really did kind of turn the Canucks season back in the right direction because it felt like things were slipping away when they came home after that Vegas loss. They lost to Montreal. That was four losses in five games just ahead of Christmas, and people were saying, like, man, they've got to get some traction here. And sure enough, they did. That was also the night, uh, the home game, where Josh Levo was mm-hmm. checked by Nick Holden, broke his kneecap, and we haven't seen Levo in a Canuck uniform since. So uh, probably some frust- added frustration for Josh Levo not being available uh, to help his team against the Vegas Golden Knights. But, you know, look, you've made this point before. You've been there in the bubble watching. Like, the Blues kind of, you know, they, they struggled to find their motivation, right? And, and we figured there would be some teams, and they weren't very good in the round robin, and... You know, they end up losing to the Canucks. This Vegas team has been on a mission really ever since losing to Washington in the Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago. But they and Colorado both look like they have gone to Edmonton <laughs> on a business trip, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So we always say, we always say, like it gets tougher the deeper you go. 
this is only round one to round two, and I know the Canucks dethroned the Stanley Cup champs, but they're getting a team that is all in, and they're going to have their hands full. Like, let's just be honest, they're going to have their hands full. Uh, but look, the Canucks are playing remarkably well right now, so maybe it's a good thing that there isn't a lot of turnaround time. Like, keep that mojo rolling from one series into another. But uh, as you sit here on this Saturday morning ahead of a Sunday start, like. Where does your thoughts go when you think of this matchup from the Canucks' perspective? Well, boy, I feel like I had a better handle on the matchup when I was sort of <laughs> before you reminded me of the day that Chris Timas <laughs> was saved by Chris Tanev. Um, <laughs> what, that was one of the most memorable games of the season, right? Like, that was a great game. For, back and it forth. was a great game. And, and the save Markstrom makes... Right, the save Markstrom makes with it, you know cutting across his crease, that saved the Canucks season. Like I, I will never. So, so that was when the Golden Knights, the, they sort of leveled it. Right, this was before the Canucks got the winner, the Pedersen winner. Yeah, it was and on Stone, I think. It was on Stone. Yeah, it was a two on two on one, and it's just a perfect, perfectly executed by Vegas and Markstrom just stones them. Biggest save of the Canucks season, bar none. I, I refuse to countenance any other uh, argument. I still think that the, if that if Markstrom doesn't make that save, I still think this team is in a very different place now. Um, they probably still make the play-in round, <laughs> but that's because everyone did, <laughs> unless you were a California team, really. Um, you know, so, but, I mean, boy, I think their season looks an awful lot different if Markstrom doesn't make that save. Um, yeah, so look, Vegas, real quick, it's not just that they're big, it's not just that they're mean, it's not just that they have two of the best two-way lines in the NHL, uh, it's also that they're incredibly fast. Like, Alex Tuck, I haven't seen Alex Tuck lose a race to the puck in this tournament. <laughs> I haven't seen him lose a race. Like, he's six foot six, and he looks like he's a whisper away from being able to go uh, stride for stride with McDavid. It's unfair. He's become probably my favorite player to watch live at this point. Like, he is an absolute freak. It, it is so fun to watch him play. But that whole bottom six can skate like the wind. Like, Chandler Stevenson is a burner. Like, he's a burner fourth-line center that they got for a fifth-round pick. It's insanity. Um, you know, Nick Cousins, sorted history, but an, a tremendous skater. And has played really, really well for them. Um, you know, he sort of hel helps that fourth line kind of click. And, you know, William Carlson, William Carlson and Paul Stasny down the middle. Mark Stone's the best defensive, the most assertive two-way winger in the NHL. I think he can get to their defense a little bit still. Like, I still think that's an issue for them. But that the entire way they play is so much tidier under Pete DeBoer, who's just one of the best tactical coaches in the NHL. Um, you know, he's a very cut from a very different cloth than, than Craig Berube. Um, I think he's a little more like green is. <laughs> so I think if green starts throwing weird lines in a blender and on and on, like, you know, I, I don't expect Pete DeBoer to match. Cause I don't think he'll have to, like, he's got so many more horses in this series, but, um, you know, I do think that's going to be an interesting matchup. Cause I think both those guys are pretty obsessive. I mean, the head coaches. And then, you know, if <laughs> Leonard seems to be their first choice, he won a Jennings last year in a playoff round. This is his second straight year in the, in the, you know, leading a team past the first round in the postseason. He's become an exceptional goaltender. But, 
you know, if he doesn't play well, Marc-Andre Fleury, who, as I like to say, is the Canucks' personal Babadook, um, is waiting in the wings, right? Like, it's been 13 years since they defeated him in regulation. Personally. Like, yeah. he's personally... <laughs> 13 years! It doesn't even make sense. You know, like, I don't even think I was drinking age. <laughs> I'm bald! Like, ah. I'm bald and married! You had hair the last I'm, time they beat Marc-Andre Fleury? Hundred percent, I had hair. I no, I didn't just have hair. I was cool. <laughs> like it's crazy, man. So don't you sell know. yourself short. <laughs> there are there are no sort of big. There are no glaring weaknesses here. Uh, and you're right. This Vegas team. This is not a question of we don't know which Vegas team is going to show. Like we do. We we know the <laughs> we know the Vegas team that likes to play with its fucking food is going to show up, and. You know, the Canucks are going to need the, the even if the Canucks are on their game, they're going to need Markstrom to stand on the, on his head. Right. And even if Markstrom stands on his head, they are likely to lose this series. But it's a pretty tremendous test. And, you know, we've seen them figure out crazier things, um, but not really like this Vegas team is it just feels faded that they're going to meet Colorado in the next round, doesn't it? It does. But. You know, upsets happen, especially upsets in a bubble Absolutely. summer hockey. And, you know, I'm not going to write the Canucks off. Like, I gave them no, a chance against the St. Louis Blues. But part of that was because I, I wasn't sold on the Blues based on what I saw in the round robin. Again, this Vegas team is all business. Like, So, look, they've been sitting around a little bit. Maybe the Canucks can get the jump on them here and, and get the first one like they did against St. Louis and, you know, and then roll it from there. Uh, I, I kind of envisioned this series, Grantzer, uh, after watching what happened to Edmonton, what happened to Calgary, uh, Carolina. Like, I, in my head, I see those teams sort of pressed up against the glass watching Jacob Markstrom at one end and Robin Lehner at the other, knowing that there's, like, this possibility that one totally. or both could get to unrestricted <laughs> free agency. Probably won't happen for Markstrom, but uh, who knows where it goes for Laner. Anyways, uh, it just shows you, you know, again, how important goaltending is. And, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time on Markstrom on this pod because we have spent a ton of time on Markstrom on other pods. But uh, he is just so locked in and solid right now. And you see it. Like, this team does feed off the confidence that they get from their goaltender. Hell yeah, they do. And so if he's at that level, and he's going to have to be at that level, but if he can get there or stay there, then he gives them a chance. He does. And, um, you know, even even in their losses, right? Like they lost in overtime, and they lost 3-1 to with two goals on the power play, and one of them a five-on-three goal. Like, you know, this Blues team never... Uh, territorially, they took over in the series and looked like they might run away and hide from the Canucks, but certainly on the scoreboard, they didn't. And, you know, Markstrom was obviously a massive, massive part of that. I loved his answer post game, eh? The one where he's like, We're not happy. And I was, <laughs> I was like, Really? <laughs> really? Because my mentions are filled with celebrating fans, you know? <laughs> but I thought, that, I mean, isn't that exactly it? You know, and, and isn't this a weird dynamic, too, by the way, where the Canucks win a playoff round yesterday and they play again tomorrow in the next? Like, it's so weird. It, it, I, it's not unheard of to have that quick a turnaround, but it's pretty rare. And it just feels weird. But I, I thought that was an answer that just really summarized how adult and how obsessed Markstrom is. You know, if there's like if there's a Canucks player who comes across as completely obsessed with winning 
Um, you know, I, I do think it's Markstrom. Like, Markstrom's the guy to me who, you know, and he's not the only guy. These are all professional athletes. They're all crazy competitive. But Mark's, I just thought that answer said so much about him, right? Just like, you know, he, he says a lot of things. He's clearly excited to have done this with his teammates in that answer. But when it, when it sort of winds down, he's like, you know, we, at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we still have more to do. Like, we're not happy. And I, I just – I thought that said – I, I just thought that spoke volumes. I, I think that says everything about where Markstrom's head's at, what he wants to accomplish here. Um, but what he's certainly accomplished here already is to uh, enhance his leverage. Like, we don't know what the economics of free agency will look like. True. Uh, but, yeah, I'm feeling like my projections might have been a little low, uh, especially with how well Markstrom's played here. And, uh, you know, especially with how few goaltenders there are in the entire NHL that are really, like, you know, there's a there's a confidence, there's a swagger, there's a number one goalie feel to everything Markstrom's doing right now. And I just look around the league and it just doesn't feel like there's a ton of guys like that anymore. Um, you know, that makes Markstrom <laughs> even rarer. Uh, but this is not a guy who anyone's going to be looking at and being like, yeah, he's our 1A. You know, like Markstrom's a starter. And it's just, you know... It seems like there's not a ton of those guys who you're, you know, confident are going to play 50, 60 games for you every year and play at a high level. And you just know it with Markstrom. Like, it's at, we're at the point now where we just know, like, he, he lets in a bad goal. It's like, well, he's going to shut it down. Like, he's in that, he's hit that zone where, you know, you can't not be confident in what he's going to do. And that's so rare for guys who play. A position is very, you know, is subject to variance as goaltending. Uh, on to the second round, and and it is, you can just feel it in the city. It was awesome uh, for people. I, I do. I feel good for the fans that uh, yeah. it's been a long time coming, and and I hope people enjoy it. Uh, you know, it's four wins. There's still uh, a lot of winning required ahead if the Canucks are going to go on any kind of magical run, and you know, it's not going to be any easier. In fact, it's going to be tougher against this Vegas team, but, uh, you know, take the weekend, enjoy it, and uh, this is what it's all about. So uh, people that are, you know, the, the diehards that have been waiting for this opportunity uh, to see the Canucks advance past Minnesota, I think most people expected that that was going to happen, and and then to step it up a notch and take care of the St. Louis Blues, uh, you know, good on them, but, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll be ready. I'm sure the coaching staff will use this day effectively to uh, turn the attention from the Blues to the Golden Knights, and away they go. I haven't starting... checked. Are the Canucks doing media today? Uh, they are later in the day, so I don't... Nice. My guess is they wouldn't skate. I think you give them no. a day and maybe have a morning skate. And, well, uh... maybe you sweat it out. It depends on what yeah. you did last night. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I hope they went hard. They deserve it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, give you them know. a night at the very least, yeah. and uh, and then they'll get the nights uh, for the next four at the very least. I, I saw I saw when the schedule was released. Like if it goes to six games, five and six are back to back. And when you think of Ugh. games three and four in that St. Louis series, were back to back. I did the math. Well, and like it has a think how tired be, they looked. But it would have the potential to be ten. Stanley Cup playoff games in 17 nights. Now, no travel, but still, you just think of the toll of 10 of those games in 17 nights. But that's what the Canucks are up against if they can get (sighs) this thing to six against uh, against Vegas. Oh, man. Well, you know, (laughs) I mean, 
I'm on 30. I'm not playing the games, so it's a very different, but I'm on 33 and 21. <laughs> and when I saw that the NHL scheduled the start of that, that Colorado-Dallas series for tonight, like, I almost threw my phone against the fucking wall, man. Like, I was just like, fuck you. Like, are you trying to kill me? And, and like, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing because it's like, I love this. I love being at the rink. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm one of 10 people watching live hockey this summer. I mean, I'm grateful. And yet, you know, this is the ultimate in like Augustus Gloop in <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like too much of a good thing, it turns out, becomes not such a good thing. And, uh, you know, like, look, let's all take a day off NHL. I get it. No one wants right. to be in the bubble. But like, you know, anyway, I'm not I'm not I've, I've got Daniel Nugent Bowman, our intrepid. Edmonton beat reporter covering off tonight's game one. I just needed to take a day. I I, I just can't. You can't do it every day. Like, I've been at the rank 21 straight days. I needed a day. And the NHL, you know, the schedule lined up to fucking give me one. And the NHL just wouldn't cooperate. I honestly have never been so mad. JPAD, I've never been so mad. I honestly, I honestly almost, like, I, I was worried about my mental state <laughs> after I found that out. Um, so yeah, 17 games in 10 days. It's a lot of hockey and boy, did they look tired that second leg of back-to-backs against the blues too, right? Like this is very grueling. Um, you know, you, you certainly got to feel for them. Like you just got to feel for them. I, I think, you know, if they're able to get it, like say game five is a game that they're, they stave off elimination and game six is another one. Like, boy, what a brutal, brutal slate that is. The Canucks, if they're going to, you know, advance past Vegas, they're definitely going to need to get off to a good start here. Like, they cannot get it behind the eight ball um, in the in the first three games, especially with that back-to-back set. I share your frustration. I'm not sure that it's rage on my part, but it just it felt <laughs> like, hey, good on the Canucks. This is awesome. Like, the city is on fire, and this is uh, – although I thought that was funny, Travis – wanted to say the city was on fire and then he kind of caught himself i don't know if that was a uh, (laughs) a riot reference but uh but i thought like all right let's reconvene and we'll see on monday and the series can start then and everybody will take the weekend off but no that's not the way it's going to go uh i just wanted to mention if people haven't had a chance uh you know you talked about some of your colleagues a nice collaborative effort with jeremy rutherford on the pavel dimitra piece if people are looking for some content here between games check that out of course wyatt's got you covered with the post series armies and uh more hockey means more armies on the way so looking forward to that and, and we've got our we've got our series report cards running this morning. Okay. And um, let me see if they're already up. They are already up, and which allows me to do the following. Um, so I'm talking to Matt Sundin for the Demetra piece on Wednesday, J Pat. Yes. And we're at the end of the conversation. And you know, first of all, it's Matt Sundin. Like, there's not a lot of people in this business who I'm like excited to talk to before I do so. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's a job. But when Matt Sundin emailed me back, I was legitimately like, whoa, I'm going to talk to Matt Sundin. Like, that's cool. You know, he's a larger than life figure, right? Like he was bigger than life when he played. He occupies a pretty significant sort of space in the psyche of Swedish hockey and Canadian hockey because of his time with the Maple Leafs and on and on. So, you know, I was genuinely really excited to talk to him. And so we chat Demetra and he's about to get off the phone and I'm like, oh, my God. Sundin played with Green, right? Like Sundin <laughs> played with Travis. Yeah. 
And so I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I've, I've almost forgot Matt's, but you played with Travis. And he, you know, said, yeah. And he said some great things about Travis and was kind. And then he, <laughs> and then he, and then I told him about game five and he said he'd watch some of it. And, um, and he said, I'm not surprised by what I saw in terms of Travis hiding lines. Like, I'm not surprised by any of this. He's always been, he's always been sneaky. <laughs> um, and then he added, and then he added, and then he added, you know, it's, it reminds me actually of when he beat me in poker on the plane, on the team plane. Um, that's what that reminds me of. You know, he's always had a game plan that he doesn't tell anybody else. Um, and I'm really excited that he has the guts and the balls to continue to operate like that as a head coach. Um, but overall, Sundin is, you know, trem- was tremendously impressed with Green overall and, and, and tremendously impressed with Elias Pettersson, too. Uh, some nice comments about his work rate. Uh, anyway, I thought they'd run in the report card. It looks like we cut them. Um, but I will, r- I will run the Sundin quotes at some point. In the meantime, though, they're a VanCast exclusive. All right. Well, hey, you uh, go and enjoy a Saturday off after podcasting and probably doing some other work as well. But from games at the very least, uh, because you got to get right back at it. There is no rest here as the Canucks move in to round number two. And there will be no rest for us here on the pod. We'll continue to pump them out after every game in the postseason. So uh, you can count on us. The VIPs will be here for you with new new and fresh VanCasts as the Canucks push on into the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Join Scott Burnside for the daily playoff edition of Two Man Advantage. Monday's show will preview round two of the playoffs only at The Athletic. And of course, uh, round two gets going later today and the Canucks start their second round on Sunday. Uh, this is what we're in this for, though. This is what the Canucks are in it for as well. So uh, it's summer hockey in a bubble. It's all a little different, but it's been a long time coming. So uh, enjoy the ride, people. And uh, we certainly will enjoy covering the Vancouver Canucks and the Vegas Golden Knights. Second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs for Drancer. It's Jay Pat. Thanks so much for your support of the podcast. This is the Vancast at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.